Thank you for joining the coolest show. This week, we are on the ground with Rev Yearwood, coming live from COP27 in Egypt. On this episode, Rev speaks with two amazing guests. The first guest is Veronica Bidding from the Franklin Vance Warren Opportunity in North Carolina. And our second guest is Mark Magania from Green Latinos. So once again, thank you for listening to The Coolest Show. Now back to our regular scheduled program. This is The Coolest Show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show, you know, keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show, you know, in your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, what got you covered as you hit your destination? Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show, you know, it's the hip hop call. It's good to see you. Yeah, Good to see you too. Good to be seen. It is listen. It is good to be. It is good to be seen. You know. Uh, well, first of all, I'm here with the amazing Juana Fitting. Is, is it, and how do you say your last name? Bitting. And I know there's some history behind that. I know yes, Bitting because I know there's some history. So even before we get into Doctor Doctor Gurley and and all the good stuff, I want to get into Bitting. Because I know, so this starts. So I'm sitting here at conference with Veronica Bitching, and and let's start with that. Where does your name come from? Good Reverend Doctor, I am a native of Winston Salem, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. You know about the old Salem, the Moravian history, right? Mm-hmm. In Winston Salem, it was formerly Winston and Salem. Well, I just happen to be the great 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 granddaughter of a slave, a former slave named Mr. Elias, E-L-I-A-S Bidding. Mr. Elias Bidding served for free on the plantation in Stokes County, North Carolina, of the family of Kate Bidding. You know, the Biddings and the Reynolds married each other, so Kate Bidding, Reynolds Charitable Trust, Mm. all of that money that was made on the back of slave men like my great 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 grandfather Elias Pitty. So what happens? One day there were ten slaves or former slaves chosen to own and occupy land as ten of the first landowners in North Carolina actually that built the first black community of freed slaves. One of the ten just happened to be my great-great-great-grandfather, Mr. Elias Biddy. Wow. Right across the creek from Salem, and there's a lot of history that follows that, including my grandfather. You know, we owned a lot of that land for a lot of years, and mm-hmm. right now, nobody in my family with brown skin, with the last name of Biddy, owns an ancient land in that same community. That's another story for another day, but I am the great-great-great-granddaughter of Elias Bidding, the granddaughter of Wade Bidding Sr., who historically, just recently, they named a bridge and a few other things in his honor in that same community, now somewhat known as Happy Hill. We don't own anything, any land, but they named a bridge after my grandfather. Well, my sister brother, that's amazing. Deep roots, deep roots. Man. 
So, okay, so we're, here, we're sitting here re recounting that hard history um, mm -hmm. from America. We're, we're having it in Egypt right now. We're having that conversation. So before we get to Egypt, before we get to COP, who is Veronica Bidding? Veronica Bidding is a fighter, a survivor, a thriver, and a lover of her people. And my children and my grandchildren, my 12 godchildren, but in essence, that's who I am, and that's why I fight so hard to make sure we preserve and reserve a lot of the history that our children deserve to hear. We don't do a good job at that. So I'm one of those 61-year-old women who still believe that it's important for our children to know the history of where we came from, how we became who we are, and even the history of slavery in this America. Well, in back in America. I'm in Egypt right now, but back in America. So I'm one of those people who still believes that our children must know who they are, how they became who they are, and the sacrifices their grandparents, great-grandparents had to make in order for them to be who they are and where they are right now. That's amazing. I just, it, it, it hits me as you're talking that when you think about your history connected to your family and the history of being former slaves, you are an African. So how does this moment actually hit you? Because you're now back on this side of the world. You're on this continent. How have your emotions been since you've been here in Egypt? Wow, indescribable. Honestly, this is my fourth visit actually to the continent, but my very first visit to northeastern Africa. Of course, everybody goes west, everybody goes to Ghana, everybody, you know, has a uh, way of visiting Togo or maybe even Nigeria, but this is my very first experience being here in northeast Africa in the country of Egypt. So, honestly, it was really emotional because I, I when, when I touched down in Cairo, after flying direct from JFK in New York City. I really felt some kind of way. I thought about the many questions, unanswered questions, like my great-great-great-grandfather, Elias Bidding. Where did they pluck him up from on this continent? And how did he end up in Winston-Salem, no, well, Stokes County, North Carolina, right outside of Winston-Salem? How did he end up there? How did they bring this beautiful black man, and I see all these other beautiful black people here in the midst of where we're sitting right now. How did that happen? Why was it my great-great-great-grandfather, you know, why was it him and not, you know, I just, I just really yeah, think no, about the real. difference. No, that's real. That's very yeah, real. Yeah, And what about the ones that didn't make it, the that's middle right. passages? You know, Brother Yearwood, I, I really often think about that when we attempt to respect who we really are and why we are who we are. And and I really wonder about those who did not make it for whatever reason they chose not to make it or whatever through the middle passages to the United States. Who they who were they really? And that's the whole part of defining who I am. I can't totally define who I am right. because right. I don't know. Who is your community? Oh, my community actually starts really with my family. Of course, my son, Nathaniel, my daughter, Shay, and my one grandson, Camden. 
and community starts right there, but it definitely expands to include persons I'm committed to serving as in the capacity that I serve with Franklin Vance Warren Opportunity Incorporated. And you know about Warren County, right? You know the history I, of Warren County. Well, I, I know, but you know, some folks who may hear this first time may not know. So uh, tell them about what, what is, since you referenced that, what is Warren County and what's it mean for the environmental justice movement? Well, actually, Warren County is part of my community. It has vastly become just that. Serving with and for people in Vance and Warren counties. Well, you know, of course, titles are always given. Tier one counties that is predominantly black. Most of the people there look like me. In Warren County, about 85% of the people look like me, have had similar experiences that I've had. One thing for certain is, 40 years ago, in 1982, when there was the spilling of some toxic waste, carcinogens, everything, we don't even know what to call them, there were so many, in Wake County, Raleigh, the capital city, decisions were made by North Carolina's leadership to dump that waste, that cancer-causing carcinogens and other toxins in a predominantly black community. I think there were three choices, all three of the choices where the dump would take place were mostly black communities. Mm. Well, in Warren County in 1982, there were some persons who decided, after doing the research now, you know, it's, it's a tier one county with no broadband, none of that, you know, no internet. In 1982, internet was something kind of unheard of. Some kind of way, somebody in leadership in that community of Afton, A-F-T-O-N, in Warren County, decided to listen to somebody who knew more than they did and say, hey, that stuff they're trying to dump in the middle of your neighborhood will kill you. Mm -hmm. It will cause more health disparities and health concerns than you already have. The life expectancy is pure evidence of what happens when we, you know, who are always exposed to junk. The landfills are always in our backyard. Well, to stop that, after the education of the neighbors occurred, the community, that's what community is. There were people, including Ms. Dolly Burwell, who I still speak with at least once or two, two times weekly, and others who laid in the street to stop the trucks. And the story they don't tell you is that there were people who died, who risked their lives to stop that, those dumps from occurring. Over 500 people were literally arrested because they refused to allow toxins in their neighborhood. Mm. They, did, they wanted their children to live a good, healthy life. They didn't want to leave them a bunch of junk where they're going to die. Nobody does. Everybody loves their children. And my brothers and sisters in Warren County love their children, okay? So as you fast forward from there to now, obviously you've gone from, that's from Warren County, the, the maybe would call that the, the birth place of or the uh, key obviously driver but in, in the environmental justice movement but now you're here at COP 27 the, the first question off the bat would be do you think we are where we should be as a movement in 2022 as we sit here and and, and someone said Egypt well sir 
Reverend, the good Reverend Dr. Yearwood, I must say that we are far from where we need to be. Solely because those confident, those brilliant, those fearless folks who laid in that street, they aren't here amongst us. I mean, I'm sure some people who've done something comparable to what Dolly Burwell and um, the Kearneys and all the other people did back in Warren County in 1982. I'm sure they're here and present. But we are definitely not where we should be because guess what? When we were told that that landfill, the PCB landfill in, Afton, in the Afton community was detoxified, what does that really mean? What does it mean to detoxify methane gas? What does it mean to detoxify carcinogens? Do they ever go away? Once they infiltrate your soil, your water, guess what happens? Guess what happens? It's always there. It may flow east, it may flow south, or even west, which doesn't happen often. But those contaminants stay with those farmers, those black men and women who still farm their land and grow vegetables and eat off their land because there are so few opportunities for them to earn money. They grow a lot of their food, which used to be the healthiest way to eat. But now those same people are growing vegetables in that contaminated soil mm. from that PCB that the state sanctioned dumping in their neighborhoods, in their backyards. So for that reason alone, I say no. Because we have to think locally, locally and act globally. I'm acting globally now, but when I go back to those people in, in those communities and they talk to me as they did last week, as a matter of fact, in a listening session about their health disparities, 35 and 36-year-old women shouldn't be diagnosed twice with yeah. breast cancer. The cancer disparities, the health disparities are really out of this world. I know because as of last Wednesday and Thursday before traveling here, flying to Egypt, I hosted a listening session and asked people to openly talk about their experiences and sick children, asthma, sick children dying from toothaches and mm -hmm. asthma. That's not progress. No, that's, that's, that's not. Now we, now, we share a common friend and Reverend Dr. Jared Durley, uh, Durley and he would say that we have a right to clean air, we have a right to clean water, that it's, it is a civil rights issue um, in that aspect. And, and, and Dr. Gurley marched with Dr. King, and you ever met him, he's a, he's a big guy, he used to play basketball down there at Tennessee State, and, and then and has accolades out the, the door from, from, from Clark to Morehouse to ongoing. Um, is he right in that? Is 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 climate change a civil rights issue? Do we have a right, from his standpoint, to clean air, clean water? Oh uh, yes, most definitely. Heck yeah! I don't know any other way to say it. Of course, do we pay less taxes than anybody else? Do we invest less in our children than anybody else? No, but we don't reap the same benefits as all other people. So of course. Clean air, clean water, clean soil. You all know, you know the history of what happened to black farmers. That's a civil rights issue. And of course, that's directly connected to environmental injustices. How do you give black farmers GMO 
tainted seeds and Monsanto and all of those things, but you don't deliver those same things to the other side of town. So all of these issues, environmental justice impacts every one of us, and we have a right to clean air, clean water, clean soil, because we have to take care of ourselves. We can't take care of ourselves with the health disparities. And I mean, and another thing that I must, I always talk to people in Vance and Warren County about, and I listen to them more than I talk, for real, I really do. But one thing is, when you live in a state and you're not civically engaged, and these same people are making decisions like whether to expand Medicaid or send the money back to the federal government to help you treat those ailments that result from this unclean air, unclean water, unclean soil, and you don't, in places like Warren County, have access to medical professionals because they aren't going there where they're 80% black folk, where there's not a lot of money, where poverty is far higher than it is in most places in the entire state. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to die younger. So, of course, everybody has the right. Dr. Reverend Dr. Gerald Durley is totally correct. We all deserve the right to clean air, clean soil, clean water. And, you know, and I must say this, I had a pretty, you know, and this is somewhat personal, but I've got to say it, a pretty harsh disagreement with a professor at North Carolina State University because she, a white female, told, said to me, I said, well, these same people here deserve um, clean water because they have to drink, bathe, right. and cook with this water. She said, oh, data has proven, and studies have proven that bathing in unclean water doesn't harm you. I said, speak for yourself. <laughs> My skin is brown, and I know many brown people who shower every day and the water enters their mouth. Now, you tell me that it is not hazardous to bathe in unclean water. And why should anybody have to do that? No, that's outrageous. In America. That's outrageous. You you go bathe in that dirty water. Thank you. My point exactly. Lead contaminated pipes, you know. And then you wonder why children aren't learning at the same speed as those on the other side of town where the pipes aren't contaminated with lead. You know what lead does to children and their ability to learn? It has it has devastating effects. Let, let's speak about let's go in that route. What what has been the impact of colonialism, racism, and, and the corporations within dealing with pollution and fossil fuel industries on our community? Sir, it has everything to do with the quality, the holistic quality of life. And I'm gonna say this. Duke Energy and that coal ash in North Carolina, who do you think was most impacted and most negatively impacted? The R.J. Reynolds companies producing the tobacco uh, and whatever else, lace cigarettes. And when they, all of the exposure, the chemicals from, I mean, you can walk through the city and smell foul smells in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, the home of R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company. But they feel that providing $20,000 a year for after-school tutorial programs will rectify the damage that they've done, it won't. So a lot of corporate greed has actually, and the marketing of cigarette tobacco. When I was a young girl, I started school in Winston-Salem, North Carolina in segregated schools. 
I went to school on the same side of town that I went to church and where I lived. Of course, all of the advertisements for liquor, alcohol, tobacco were on that side of town. Okay, so the marketing was huge. So I say that's corporate. That's corporate uh, racism. Why, why were they not on now? And as a matter of fact, we spoke of my last name, bidding. If you go to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, there's a bidding road. You know where that bidding road is? Far west in a town, in an area of town called Buena Vista, where the high-profile folks and the high-income folks live. But it's bidding road, and people would always ask me that question. Those not knowing, but when I gave them the real answer, some didn't want to hear it. But um, the history of slavery, but corporate greed, corporate racism has been something that has impacted our lives for some years now. Even going back to segregation, segregated schools, which I'm not opposed to, let me say that, but if equal resources were pumped into those schools, I don't mind my children being in schools with people who look like me. I purposely chose a historically black institution for higher learning for myself, my son, and my daughter for that reason, because it was a more nurturing environment. It was something I really needed as an 18-year-old who wasn't the, the person that I am now. So when we talk corporate investment in those HBCUs, as opposed to Wake Forest University across town, Wake Forest University, which of course I think ranks ninth in the most wealthy student body, <laughs> the most wealthy. Uh, wealthy student body, and then you go across town to Western Salem State University, and 80% of the students are on assistance for tuition. Mm. So, you know, when you talk corporation and corporations investing, you know, Kate Bidding Reynolds Charitable Trust can't put enough money into my neighborhood to rectify the history of slavery and what my great 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 grandfather went through. I have the handwritten wills where Anthony Bidding's. Um, actually willed my great-great-great-grandfather to his daughter, Elizabeth Bidding, because she didn't have any children and, and, and no spouse. So to take care of her, the free labor of my great-great-great-grandfather was provided to Elizabeth Bidding. Wow. We have the handwritten wills. My brother's really big on doing the research no, and making sure we know. Yeah, so, so we know. We know where his life started. Oh, yeah. you, can, you can see that history. Handwritten wills, okay? Wow. We know the history of where my great, great, great grandfather Elias Fitton's life started in Stokes County, but we can't, we don't know what, where he came from before that. We can't even, so, so I think corporate responsibility, corporate racism, even in Wilmington, North Carolina, another place I live, all of the, the corporate waste occurs on the end where the public housing also built on the cheaper land. You know, the investment in public housing is always on land that's typically contaminated, near landfills, and all those kind of things. So it's really a huge conversation that we need to have no, we must. in platforms like, just like this one. I don't know, it may be happening here at COP27 in Sharm El Sheikh, Egypt. It might be. I just haven't been well, able to attend them all. If, if. If not, we, we, we need to have them regardless. And let me ask a couple more questions. One question is, what do you hope to get out of it? What, what, what would you be your brothers, your, your, your wants out of this uh, United Nations Climate Change Conference 
better known as COP27. What would you want to see happen? Where do I start? First and foremost, this is my very first experience with a COP conference. Mm -hmm. I'm very glad that it's happening, but uh, what I would like to see happen is more conversations on more local levels, more engagement with people on the ground, more people with lived experiences, I would say. The Dolly Burwells, I mean, I can go, my list can go on and on. Dolly Burwell, Gary Grant, Randolph Keaton. I mean, we, we need to know and see, the, the world needs to know that these people who are fighting, who are spending their entire life fighting for the liberation of their people from environmental injustices, from health disparities that resulted from those environmental injustices, from, you know, many are farmers, Still, they're still farming and feeding their families and their entire communities, but you would not know that that was happening. Mm -hmm. You know, you you look at television, world news, local news, you see black faces, but they're not doing the things that my friend Randolph Keaton is doing to save our children. The programs that he has, he's teaching children how to grow their own food, how to make money doing it, how to go to college and learn at North Carolina A&T State University where he actually is an alum alumnus, but you don't see those stories on our, in our news. So I think that we can do a better job at highlighting those people like Randolph Keaton, like Gary Grant, you know, like there, there's so many I could really name that, that it's unbelievable. They're doing some remarkable things in their communities that we don't know about that. And I know that's a little uh, micro to most people. No, it's, it's not. It's important. Yeah, and, and the investment of funds. You know, universities, well, primarily white universities have come, approached me and asked me to introduce them to those people that trust me, that I love, that I work with, that I serve with, that I lay on the ground with. But what they do is they do the research. They come into our communities. They research what's happening with our people and how poorly they're performing and document that and get these huge awards, get tenure, get... Yeah recognitions and our communities are left worse than they found them because we know that these things exist. So I would like to see COP take a more, I would say, micro approach to addressing some of these things, the United Nations even. And I know that sounds outlandish to most people, but at some point we've got to get the right people in the right places to influence these corporate decisions and uh, even our local and state legislators. Our people aren't going to rise up as long as they feel helpless and hopeless and feel that there's nobody who has their backs. I saw that in the election results yesterday and I'm just so terrified. But I would like to see a greater stance on what's happening because it's all politics, brother. That's right. It's politics. Now, we can say we don't do politics if we want to. Oh, no, no, no. You don't listen. Either you say policy or policy will definitely shake you. You better That's believe right. that. And they're not going to shake you positively where it's, it's, you and your family advances and benefits. So. No, most definitely. Sister Bidding, so how can folks find you? How can they support you? How can they support your organization? And what's the next steps y'all taking? Well, actually, great question. Veronica Bidding serves with Franklin Vance Warren Opportunity the main office is located in Vance County in Henderson, North Carolina. It's a very small community, a tier one county, tier one city, mostly black and brown people. Uh, 
brother Abdul Rashid serves as our CEO right now. And he's actually a speaker. He's very well known in North Carolina. But the thing that I would like for our people to know is that we are shaping environmental justice efforts that will really make a difference. I've only been there about four months, believe it or not. But we are in the process of shaping real solid programs that aren't just programs so that we can say we're getting the right rest. We want to shape the lives of people. So my thing is to introduce our people who I'm committed to serving to means of earning a livable wage, home ownership if that's what they desire, the best quality education their children want and need. We provide housing, we provide um, we provide early childhood development services by, through uh, Head Start, but we have nine five-star facilities in those areas. One in Seoul City, in Warrington, in Seoul City, and one with the Halawasa Party, mm. our Native American brother, but brothers and sisters. But it would be great if we receive the support we need so that we can expand. I literally just submitted a grant so that we can upgrade and provide um, just gardening, gardening equipment, astro uh, photography and telescopes for our babies, you know, even though they're five years old. Mm -hmm. Start introducing them to environmental justice, start introducing them to um, heirloom seeds and the difference in GMO tainted seeds and heirloom seeds and how it produces better vegetation that will feed and nourish their bodies and their minds. I'm looking at the holistic approach to human development because if I had that when I was young, I would know a lot more than I know right now, Brother Yearwood. And, and, and there are things that um, I would have been able to do that I'm not doing right now. And I'm, I'm not making excuses, nor am I, um, I... I'm not unhappy about how I was raised, but there are some things that could have been improved that I want to improve because children deserve that. They deserve our time. They deserve to know when they're in first, second, third, fourth, and fifth grade that they can go to college if that's what they choose to do or to a community college. Build on the careers that they desire to build on right now at five years old. So so what, what we're doing and what I want them to do is contact me at Veronica, V-E-R-O-N-I-C-A, bidding, all one word, V-E-R-O-N-I-C-A-B-I-T-T, ING at F is in Frank, V is in Veronica, W is in Warren, O P P dot C O M. That's my email address. But I would love for you to look us up at F B W O P P dot com on the internet. And let us know how you would like to help us, partner with us, contact people like Ms. Darling Burwell and all the people in that area who need the support, who deserve the support, and we would love to have you visit our humble city and town. Amen. 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 My dear sister Veronica, thank you so much. Sure, thank you, being sir. The is all mine. On the coolest show. Thank and you. I, and I'm Rev you, your host of the coolest show. I'm here with uh, Mark Nagania. Mark, how's it going? Doing all right, doing all right here in uh, Sharm el Sheikh, Egypt, at the COP 27. Pleased to be here with you, Rev. So, Mark, 
Listen, so one, you've been here at the cop process a few times. Tell us, what are your feelings right now as you are here at COP27? And also tell the folks a little bit about your organization. Actually, let's start there. Who is Mark Magannion? There we go. Let's start with that. There we go. Yeah. Well, it's great to be here with you, everyone. And I uh, want to be uh, on all your shows at some point, so we'll get that done as well. But I'm here uh, representing Green Latinos, and we are a nationwide comunidad of Latino, Latina, Latin A, environmental and conservation champions. We come together as individual to break down historical barriers between the different sectors of the movement to build relationships, build partnerships, to share our unique resources, access, power, privilege that each of us has that's unique to our sector that we move in so that we can share those so we can help our communities achieve their environmental liberation. There's a lot of suffering going on out there of communities that are, are and have been under-resourced and not paid attention to and ignored for years. But the resources out there are incredible, but they're not going to the right people. They're not going directly to the communities. They're not letting the communities decide for themselves what they need. So we're here at COP to make sure, A, we help our members work with our members on what they're working on and what they're trying to do. B, to convene our members, convene Latinos that are here, and, and to really be able to support our brothers and sisters in Latin America and the Caribbean to be able to push for what, what we see as life or death changes right now in the international negotiations. To answer the second part of your, or the first part of your question, it was, we are deeply disturbed and concerned about the fact that the first world countries, countries with all the money, the countries that caused all these problems, are pushing back on loss and damage. Right. Are pushing back on the rights of the indigenous communities, black communities, Latino communities, Latin America, Africa, the I, small island nations to get recompense for the loss and damage of their homes. Explain of, to people who don't yeah. know what loss and damage is. That's a big function of this, a big one of this topic. Explain yeah. for folks who are listening right now, yeah. what, is, what is loss and damage? In a very basic term, which is the way I think, it is country, industrialized countries who have been the biggest emitters of carbon pollution for the last several decades and have caused the most damage to our climate that has caused countries to be underwater, countries to have loss of farmland, countries to be in drought, in flood, that didn't cause this. Right. That these industrialized, wealthy, primarily wealthy nations compensate these other nations for this loss and damage to this to their country, to their people. Really? Because they are having to choose whether or not they can survive there or have to, as we see in Latin, many Latin American countries, in the arid, dry straits of, of, of Central America, they have to travel thousands of miles with their children on their back to survive. Really? They're not looking for a better way of life. They're looking to live. That's right. So basically, if the, 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 you in the streets, you would say, if you broke it, you fix it. 
Yes. That's it. If you broke it, you fix it. If you broke it, you fix it. You don't just run away and That's leave right. it on the ground. That's right. It's your responsibility. You did this. Mm. And now it's time to pay up and to make sure you're not doing it anymore. Two things. Well, let me ask you this. I know you got to, you're running around here, and I know you got a lot of things to do. Um, first thing is, what do you want to see out of this cop uh, from your own perspective? And then second thing, most important, how can folks, I mean, I want to make sure that folks get in contact with the Green Latinos. How can people get in contact with Green Latinos and be a part of the organization? Oh, and, I, and, I, and I got a caveat. I got there in there. What, what can we do? We know that the, where I'm from, they say black and brown, we could turn around. How do we ensure that? I know that's, I didn't mean to throw a heavy in there at the end there, but but how do we ensure that black and brown we could turn this thing around? I believe that that's an important uh, next step for the climate justice and EJ movement. I love that. I'm gonna write that down. We can turn black and brown. We can turn this around. That's right. All right. Shit, that, that, that right there is all I want to talk about, but I do want to talk about first what, what I hope to come out of here. Yeah. I hope for the people that are in the negotiating rooms to understand how fucked up this earth is becoming right. for the poor and the malnourished and the people who are dying. It's not just poor and malnourished, they're dying right now because they don't have water, they don't have food. This is not temporary. This is not cyclical. This is the new reality for so many people. While we're out, while the negotiators are out there with a thumb up there. Right. Fuck around, time's over. That's right. And so for us, it is pushing ambition, pushing the seriousness of this. I'm comfortable. Mm -hmm. I've got water. I've got a water purifier, air purifiers. I get organic food every once in a while. But that's not the way people are living. And people who are in those rooms negotiating, they're staying at the finest hotels. They're living in the finest houses. That's right. They're thinking, my kids are going to be okay. And so that's why they're fiddling while the while Rome is burning. Literally. Yep. And so for me it is really saying have the ambition now or you will go down as Nero. You will go down as someone who didn't care enough to make the change while you could. And your kids, even your kids who are safe because they got a compound but are not able to go anywhere because it's hell out there are going to look at you and say, what the fuck did you do when you could have had a chance? That's right. This was your documentary moment. Yeah. And you didn't step in. You fiddled. You played around the edges. And so, I don't want my kids to say that to me. No one should want their kids to say that to me, and they will. So be ambitious. Get anything you do will look ridiculous in three years. That's right. It'll be like, are you kidding me? That's what you thought was going to be sufficient? In three years, it'll be like, what we did was, was ludicrous. We didn't come close. So, what I want is for us, and I, I'm going to say it again, 
black and brown, we can turn this around. Right. I want our communities, indigenous and Asian and Middle Eastern, to be able to say we have the power together. This is not a mindset of competition. There's plenty of resources around there if we use it the right way, the way our communities know how to use these resources and have for centuries used these resources. And so we come together, we share our unique resources, access, power, privilege, and we're able to really push ourselves to have the seats in the room of the people that need to be there. That's right. That are saying, my family's dying, I'm in the room negotiating. And so, to me it's increased ambition, increased storytelling by those that are on the front lines, increased seats at the table by those that are suffering the most. Those are the rules of environmental and climate justice. The people who are suffering the most on the front lines are the ones who have the voice on the solutions. And that's not happening right now. How do people get in contact yes. with Green Latinos? Easiest way, www.greenlatinos.org. Uh, a couple things I want to highlight is Latino Climate Justice Framework, which we released. It's a year-long effort by 22 national, regional, local Latino organizations to find Nuestro New Deal. What are our disproportionate issues that need to be addressed in any sort of progressive climate solution that's out there? And how can we make sure that they're included in future iterations of that? And then how can we come together with the black solutions, the indigenous solutions, the Asian solutions, to say, hey, we're together on this. That's right. Pan-global South is together. And how do we make sure that our voices are stronger than ever? and that people got to come to us and ask us for permission. And so I'm thinking, I see it happening, I see the light, I see the, the arc of justice turning back and getting to where it needs to be. Um, and it, but it, it's, gonna take, it's gonna take the part of the documentary moment that we all know. It's gonna take us at the lunch counter, us facing the dogs, us facing the hoses, on the bridge, in the bus, and so, right now, you got to say to yourself, my grandparents suffered for me and my parents by immigrating or by having three jobs. My parents suffered for me to be where I am. Now is my time for me to get uncomfortable, to get a little unsafe so that my children can be, have the promise that my grandparents wanted me to have and them to have. Amen. Now's the time. Now is the time, my brother. All right, brother. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. That is uh, Mark Magallan from Green Latinos. Uh, and I am Rev Year with your host of The Coolest Show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast 
and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know.